Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Today I want to talk about how that you get through a dry season in life. There are some things in life that you can't go around, that you can't go over, You can't get deep enough to go under them, but you simply must walk through them. You have to get right through the middle of them. But the good news for the believer is that, yea, though I walk through the valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, I do not have to fear evil, for I know that the Lord, he is with me. So how do you get through a dry season? First of all, I think we should preface and say, every one of us, all of us in the room today, everyone watching online, everyone listening to the podcast, you all have experienced and will experience dry seasons in life. Times in which it seems like nothing ever goes your way. That when you pray, the heavens are brass and it's like your prayers just descend right back upon you and you don't seem to be making any momentum. You can't get through to God. These are dry seasons in life. We often refer to a dry season as a wilderness experience. In Luke chapter 4, we're going to read that Jesus had his own wilderness experience. And because of that, he left us a pattern that we can successfully navigate through, somebody say through, right through our own dry seasons in life. Now, patterns and recipes are similar in that they are prescriptive. They teach us how to do something. A pattern, if you take a pattern, you put it on a a piece of fabric and you uh, cut out the outline of that pattern, then at the end, you're going to have a garment. The the pattern instructs you how to make a garment. A recipe, if you will follow the recipe to all the the instructions within it, will will allow you to create a, a beautiful and delicious batch of cookies, maybe that you will share with somebody else. Maybe you'll eat them all by yourself. But how many of us, when looking at a pattern or observing a recipe, decide midway through, I don't like what it says here. I think I'll just go off the map. I'll do it my own way. A little less salt here, a little more baking soda there. And at the end, we get something that isn't as desirable as we had anticipated. It's not like the picture that was on the package. And we do it our own way many times to our own peril. I I, I have often experienced this when I'm putting together Ikea furniture. And I always wonder, why is it that they put so many extra parts in the box? But then when I get to the end of it and mine don't look like the box, I realize, oh, I guess those weren't extra parts after all. (laughs) They belonged somewhere in the recipe. They went with the pattern. There are some instructions that I believe we can glean from God's word today, how that we can navigate through and get through, even though we can't get around, we can't get under, we can't avoid dry seasons in life. We can get through them with God's help. Someone say amen. Amen. Luke chapter four, verses one and two. I just want to look at two verses for right now. It says, then Jesus, who are we talking about? Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Somebody say a dry place. See, I'm an audience participation preacher. If you participate, I'll go faster. We can get done with this thing. So Jesus being led by the spirit into 
this dry place into this wilderness, verse two, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. It didn't say he drank nothing. It just says he ate nothing. This was a 40 day fast. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And I think you and I would be hungry too after not eating for 40 days. It's very important that we notice here that this wilderness experience was a uh, commonly referred to as the temptations of Satan with Jesus in the wilderness. And, and here's what I want to preface to you, and I want you to understand, really let this settle in your heart. It is not a sin to be tempted. Being tempted is not sinful. Now, how you respond to those temptations can be sinful or they can be redemptive, but being tempted is common to all of us. We are all going to have temptations, trials, experiences when we are going to be brought up to the line and asked to choose something. Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted at all points as we are, yet he was without sin. And if he is our pattern, if Jesus is our model, if Jesus is our example, he said, because I live, you will live also. Because I have been victorious, you also can be victorious. And so being tempted is not a sin. Martin Luther, the great church reformer, said it like this. When the devil comes knocking at the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes and answers the door. Martin used to live here, Jesus says, but he's moved out. Now I live here. The devil then sees the nail print hands in the pierced side of Jesus and takes flight immediately. Now, maybe that's a little simplistic, but who answered the door of the temptation the last time you were tempted? Did you answer that door and say, oh, I can handle it? Or did you send one in your place? Did you send Jesus to answer that door? Today, as we get to the end of this message, I hope that you will learn to send another to that door, that you will send Jesus to that door of temptation. For we're going to realize that in ourselves, in our own humanity, in our frail fallen condition, we cannot resist the way that we would like to. We cannot stand up under the pressure as we may thought we could. But God, by his spirit, by being filled with his spirit, helps us in every infirmity. Here are some key markers of Jesus' dry experience. And you may relate with some of these. And you may just want to jot a couple of these down. But the first thing that we see just in two verses, the first thing we see is that Jesus was filled with the spirit. Jesus was completely filled to the brim. He had everything that he needed. You can go back and read the previous chapter. We'll get there in just a minute. But you can see how that from that experience, Jesus was on a spiritual high. He was filled with the Spirit. And here's what oftentimes happened, is that when we have experienced a spiritual high, when we have gotten to a mountaintop with God, now I've talked to a lot of Christian believers and I can tell you emphatically that we all like those mountaintop experiences. Like when we're standing at the mountaintop and we can see far and wide, we can look forever and ever. It looks like the horizon never ends because we're on the mountaintop. We have full view of everything and we just think life is wonderful on the mountaintop. I could live here forever. But how many realize you don't always stay on the mountaintop? Jesus had just experienced a mountaintop experience. He had just received the greatest affirmation from his father that any son could ever receive. And he was filled with the spirit. And here's what I have experienced and many other believers have as well, is that at your times of greatest spiritual success, you are about to go into the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of the shadow of temptation or a dry season and if we're not careful, an unguarded strength, a high spiritual experience, can become our greatest weakness. 
Jesus being filled with the Spirit was now poised and ready. He was going into this trial, into this testing. Now, we don't like to go into the valley, but there are certain things that can only grow in the valley. There are certain plant and vegetation that do not grow on the mountaintop. There are some times where God needs to change you from mountaintop to mountaintop, but you must go through a valley to get there because there's some work that he's trying to do in your life. There's something that he's trying to take you through. He's forming something on the inside of you, and you must go through these valley experiences, these dry places. And Jesus went through these dry places even when he was at his greatest spiritual success. Number two is familiar ground is fertile for temptation. It says that Jesus, having returned from the Jordan, the Jordan was the place of, of high and, and accelerated experience, but now he's going back into Galilee, a familiar place. Jordan was the high, and now the normal is in this Galilean place. And we often get bored with familiar. And when we get bored, we start to look for other options, other opportunities. When we are just walking in the familiar of life, when we just are, are experiencing the humdrum, when nothing seems exciting in our lives, when it seems like everything is kind of just routine and, and we're just going through the motions, we can start to receive this sense of spiritual pride. It is this sense of, oh, I already beat that temptation. I'm already so past that. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Never get so... Uh, spiritually inebriated that you think that you can always resist something that used to trip you up. There are times you need to separate yourself from those things which used to trip you up so that you don't have to go through that experience again. Or we may say something like, oh, that's, that's so obvious. I would never fall for that. And we look down our nose at someone who is struggling with something that we've long since conquered because it's so obvious to you. It's so obvious to me that they're just being tricked, that they're being deceived. How could they fall for it so easy? It's familiar to us. And when we get into a familiar place, we are in danger of walking into, many times unaware, a temptation that if we were on... Uh, guard for, we would have never let our guard down to go into that temptation. I think about the Old Testament story. Many of us are familiar with David and Bathsheba. We know the story of David and Bathsheba and how that it, it wrecked his entire life because he slept with another man's wife. But what we fail to realize is that David was coming off one of the most spiritually high moments of his entire career. He had already been on the run from Saul. He had already been cast out as, as a people. He had already been hit, hiding in a cave. And now he was ascended to the place of the throne. He was the king of all of Israel. He was the most beloved man. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. There was something that was special about David that God took favor with David and gave him mighty victory over all of his foes. He, he fought the lion and he succeeded. He fought the bear and he succeeded. He cast down a stone on mighty Goliath and he succeeded. He even outwitted and outsmarted Saul who was after his life. And now David is in a familiar place in the palace. He was so familiar with this place that one evening as he was standing out on his familiar terrace, he looked over the edge of that terrace and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. He shouldn't have been there, actually. He shouldn't have been in that familiar place because it was the time that the kings were to go out to war. But David decided to stay in the familiar. He stayed at home. He thought, no, I've trained my fighting men well enough. They can fight without me. And he started to let down his guard. And when he did, he succumbed to the greatest temptation 
that had faced his life to that time, he gave up his dignity, he gave up his honor because of a fertile environment for temptation. Beware of something that makes you bored, of something that gets you spiritually puffed up, the familiar. Number three, God, listen to this, God directs us through dry places. And I just added this last one on there. So stop blaming the devil for all your temptations. The scripture said that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. It was the Spirit that prompted Jesus to get up and to go to that place of testing. But too many of us Christians, we give the devil credit for way too many things. We give the devil credit for our temptations when really it was God who was giving us the opportunity to pass a test. You know, you can't graduate one grade until you pass the test of the grade you're in. You can't graduate that grade. If you don't pass the test, then you have to be on a remedial course and take that test again. Just look back to the Old Testament. You can see that Israel, God's own chosen people, they were given the test of a new land that they could conquer. It was called the promised land. And yet they stopped short, just a three-day journey short of the promised land. Can you imagine? They could see from the mountaintop their promise their inheritance. They could see that it was over there. And God said, that's yours. All you have to do is go and possess it. But what they decided to do was gather a committee meeting. They gathered a committee meeting of 12 men. They said, you know what? We want you to spy out the promised land. In other words, go see if God really is giving this to us. We're going to deliberate about this. And so when they sent out the spies, 10 of the spies came back and they said, that land is filled with giants. That land is inconquerable. It's impenetrable. The cities in that land are so well guarded. I don't think we could ever possess that land. But Joshua and Caleb, just two of the spies, the minority report, they came back and they said, that land is filled with milk and honey. Just like God said, that land is luscious. It is developed. It is built up. It has cities in it already built and wells we didn't have to dig. That land is ready. We are well able to go and overtake that land. But you know what the people of God did? They believe the majority report. Just because the majority is giving you a report doesn't mean they're right. Just because you look at pop culture and you look at modern society and everybody's doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. And they believe the majority report. And for the next 40 years, they were tested. It's called the wilderness wanderings. They were tested and they walked around the same mountain for 40 long years. Why? Because they never passed the test. Therefore, they couldn't graduate. God had led them into that place only for a short overnight stay. The Spirit led them there, and he, they were well able to conquer, but they stayed there for 40 long years. I wonder how many of us are continuing to go around the same mountain of life. We're continuing to have to take the same test time and time again, because instead of realizing God has directed us to this place for our own good, we blame something else. We blame someone else. It was our past. It was our heritage. It's how we were brought up. We don't have the right education. We were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Of course, he gets ahead. Of course, she has all the looks. Of course, they have everything they want. I didn't have the same opportunity. Stop blaming everything else and everyone else and focus instead on God. Look what it says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of the, that is in Jesus Christ. 
And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship. Do you know you have to endure some hardships, some hard places, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, we want to blame everything else for our temptations or our trials or our dry spots, but sometimes it's God's goodness and his love that is bringing us to the spiritual gym so that we can do some exercise and build up some spiritual muscle. Somebody say amen. So that he can get us into a proving ground, into a training ground. No good coach worth their salt will send their athletes out there without proper training to compete in an athletic without proper conditioning of their body. And so this is what God is doing. By the Spirit leading Jesus into this dry place, it wasn't to snuff him out, it wasn't to take him out, but it was giving Jesus a divine opportunity to pass the test. And maybe you need to just flip the script a little bit on your dry spot. Maybe you just need to look at what you're dealing with in life right now and say, God, I thank you that you counted me worthy to go through this that you saw enough trust in me, that you saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. There's enough grit, internal fortitude that you know I can get through this with your help. And therefore, I submit myself in this moment with your help. It was the Spirit that directed Jesus into this dry place. Number four, and this may be the most difficult to hear. A dry season, your temptation may last much longer than you expect. I very seriously doubt that when Jesus encountered this time of testing that he thought, you know what, I'm not going to eat for 40 days. If you and I weren't going to eat for 40 days, what we would probably do is we'd go to Old Country Buffet. Is that still open? I don't even know. We'd go to some buffet. I don't even know if they have buffets anymore. We would go somewhere and we would fatten ourselves up. We'd get ourselves prepared and ready. Like we got to live off this for a while, right? But sometimes what we encounter in a dry season will last beyond what our supply was intended to do. It'll last longer than we thought or anticipated that it was going to last. And here's the danger in a dry season or a temptation lasting longer is that if we're ill-prepared and most of the time we don't feel prepared, we will get into loneliness and loneliness will put us in our headspace. And when you get into your headspace, you see the real battleground is not out there in that wilderness. Sure, there were wild beasts and there were all kinds of things out there in the physical wilderness that Jesus was in. But the real battle happens within one foot between your mind and your heart. About 12 inches. That's the battlefield of all of us. What are you thinking about? What are you putting in your heart? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you think about goes in your heart and then it comes out of your mouth. And when we get in our headspace, when we're lonely, we start to question things. Did God really say? Does God really love me? God, do you really see what I'm going through? Does God hear my prayers? Maybe God's forgotten about me. We get in our headspace. We start questioning. And if we're there for an extended period of time without some intervention of some friends or some people who love us, what happens is we start ruminating. 
Ruminating is a word that is, is often used for cattle as they chew their cud. Cattle will, will take something, they'll eat it, they'll spit it out, they'll pick it up again, they'll chew it again. They don't ever really swallow and digest it. They just keep ruminating and chewing on it and chewing on it. Maybe you have come into this place this morning. Maybe you're watching us right now online and there are some things in your mind, the loneliness, the questioning, and you just keep chewing on it. You keep ruminating. You keep regurgitating and then chewing it again. And it doesn't taste good to you anymore, but for some reason you can't stop chewing it. I want to tell you today, stop the ruminating. Give it to God. Just turn it over to the Lord. The Bible says, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. But in our loneliness... When we have gone 10 days in trial, when we've gone 20 days in temptation, when we've gone for a season of dryness and it feels like it won't shake, it's extending beyond what we thought. We look around us and others are already through their test. They're already into their promised land. They're already going through their blessing. And we wonder why are we stuck in this place of dryness? We start ruminating. And then we realize it's been a while since I've eaten anything, and we get hungry. But not just physical hunger, for we can take care of that easily in this country. But what about spiritual hunger? What about knowing and sensing this, the move of God's spirit in our heart and lives? What about that spiritual hunger that stirs us on the inside, that, that wakens us at night, that helps us to, to realize that this world and all its pleasures are never going to be enough. It is a spiritual fulfillment that we're looking for. It's more than just pleasure seeking and it's more than just experiences and it's more than just getting the next new gadget, but there is a spiritual hunger. Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights ate nothing, no food. And it testifies of the spiritual hunger that we have. See, he had a connectedness in this time, this dry season, that spiritually he was led there by the Spirit and he was in conversation all the time with his Father. There's only three people that are recorded in the Scriptures that fasted like this. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, a 40-day fast. They drank water, but they didn't have food for 40 days. That's some pretty tall company to be standing in. Now, I wouldn't advise you just to haphazardly take on that kind of a fast. But I wonder, are there some things in your life that God is calling upon you to maybe set aside for a season, to go through your dry season, your dry time, to get through without having to relate to that, without having to go touch that? Maybe there's some things that God is challenging you to set aside for a time and for a purpose so that you can then increase your spiritual hunger with him. Stop satisfying your mind and your heart and your soul and your eyes with things that are easily at your disposal, but instead give that time and that energy and that attention to God. Listen, this isn't legalism. What's God speaking to you? The thing that God may call upon you to set aside may be really pretty neutral. It doesn't have to be a bad thing at all. Can I share with you that idols are not bad things? Idols are good things that we place in first priority over God. That's what an idol is. We, we easily say, oh, an idol, that's some Buddha statue that's sitting on, a, on a, a mantle. I would never bow down and worship an idol, yet we give all of our time and our attention and our energy to our culture, to sports, to our jobs, to running to and fro and never having enough. And we, we idolize things in this culture that we don't call idols. 
We call Old Testament stuff idols, but idols are not bad things. They're good things corrupted and made into the image of the ultimate thing. And maybe God is calling you, maybe God is drawing you in a season of dryness to look at your life, to take an inventory and set aside some things for his purpose. Number five, when you're weak and just about to give up, that's when the devil moves in to make a deal. In your dry season, there will be a time of proposition where the devil will proposition, the enemy of your soul will will cause you to take a shortcut, to to tempt you to take a shortcut, I should say. Notice in this verse, you can look at these these, uh, verses, the devil didn't speak at all or issue a challenge until after the 40-day barrage was up. Look at how he works. He gets us extended in our dry season. He gets us ruminating in our thoughts, rehearsing the past. If they say this, I'm going to say that. Oh, I wish I'd have said that. And I can't believe they did this. And we renumerate. We get in our minds. We get in our headspace. We get hungry physically and spiritually. And when Jesus was at the end of his 40 days, then is when the enemy spoke up and issues a challenge, a test, an ultimatum, a question. Did God really say, reminiscent of Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. But listen to this. Your time of temptation in a dry season will ultimately be a pressure test of the trust that you have in what God has said about you and what God has said to you. What has God said about you? Well, you have to consult his word to find out what he said about you. And what has God said to you? That's these little instructions that come on the inside of you that, that, that they just, it, it's like you, maybe not the audible voice of God, but you know, because you know, because you know, God has instructed me. God said that to me. It's a matter of trust. Do you trust what God has said? Again, all the way back at the beginning, that was the very first temptation. Temp, first temptation wasn't some fruit on a tree. It was a temptation of trust. I remember when our kids were small, we used to play this little game where I'd go into their room and they would stand on the bed and I would stand right at, right at the edge of the bed and I'd say, now jump. And they could easily jump and get into daddy's arms. But that wasn't as fun as when I would take a step back and they could jump and have a little bit of space. And then it got to be where we would play this so often that I would step back several steps and they would take a running jump. And, and I remember they'd say, a little further, a little further, you know. And before long, I'm getting so far away from the bed, like, I don't know if I can really catch them. But their trust level was so high, they would, they would play this game for hours if I would let them. Well, I remember one day I was walking by and I heard our three-year-old daughter standing on the bed saying to her four-year-old brother on the floor, a little further, a little further. And I rushed into the room so that I could intervene in that situation because their trust was so high. Like they were going to play this game whether I was around or not. And I got in there just in time so that we didn't have to make an ER visit that night. But this is exactly the kind of trust that your heavenly father is developing in your dry season. It's not a temptation to take you out, but it is a pressure test of your trust to keep you in. Do you believe what God has said about you? 
that you are accepted, you are beloved, that you are a treasured child, that you are his, you belong to the most high God. Do you believe what he is, his word has said about you and what he has spoken on the inside to you? See that trusting the father was how Jesus demonstrating getting through a dry season. Luke four and nine. This is the third temptation now in the wilderness. It's recorded in verse nine. It says, then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle on the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. Look, did you know the devil even knows the Bible? For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, Jesus lived in the power of this reassurance that he was a treasured child. His status was that he was a treasured child. And where do we find this? Well, the previous chapter, Luke 3, 22, this is at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized, this is what happened. The heavens opened and this is what it said. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came out from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, the father said to him something and revealed disapproval. Jesus was living from approval, not for approval. Now there's a difference. I think all of us go through times of trying to find our tribe, our fit. We want to, you know, be in a, a, a family that loves us and, and a, maybe a crowd of people that accept us. And Jesus was no different in that. He had 12 disciples. He had three that he loved and fellowshiped with, and one was John the Beloved. So, so there was this, this ever-shrinking circle of, of inner fellowship that was happening. But from these words, when his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, Jesus now had the status of a treasured child. He was living from his sense of approval, not for approval. See, when you live for approval, what will happen is you'll post something on social media, and then you'll check it every 30 seconds to see how many likes you have. When you live for approval, you're always asking what the person in the cubicle next to you or standing on the assembly line next to you is making, just to make sure they're not making a lot more than you because you, you want to be approved. When you live for approval, you're always looking to make sure that everybody is thinking well of you. When you live for approval, that's how we operate. But when you live from approval, you just take life in stride. You say, hey, if they like me, great. If they don't, that's okay too, because I am a treasure child of God. Can I share with you a mystery of life? A mystery of life is this. Whenever I live for approval, whenever I'm trying so hard to fit in, whenever I'm, I'm trying to be the likable guy, I usually do not see that in and of myself. When I'm living for approval and I'm striving to fit in and I'm striving for God's favor and I'm striving for other people's favor, I can't even see it. It's like a blind spot. I can't see it about myself. But here's the mystery of life. Others around me who know me better than me, they see it first. And when I'm living from approval, I usually don't see that either. When I'm just going in stride and when I'm operating in my calling and I'm, I'm functioning in my gift and I'm doing the talent God has called me to do and God's spirit's moving through me, I usually don't see that either. But others around me do. So allow 
God to speak to you a word of approval. In this dry season, don't despise the testing of your faith as some strange thing has happened, the the fiery trial that you're facing. Peter said, don't think that the fiery trial is some strange thing, but rather know this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. And when it's done, you will emerge as pure gold. The dross being taken off the top, the impurities burned out, in God's purpose and his plan working in your life. You see, Galatians 4 and 5 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. This is the gospel of adoption, that you are accepted not because of any good thing you have done, but according to his mercy, he loved you. The scripture tells us that we weren't good enough to earn God's favor, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can't earn his favor. We can't earn his love. We have to accept his love. And it says that the devil departed from Jesus until a more opportune time. Now you may have passed the test today, But there's another test coming because there's always a more opportune time. Thanks be to God that your dry season may be different than my dry season. And when our dry seasons are different, you know what God calls us to do? As a household of faith, we are to come alongside another person. We are to come along them and help them to get through that dry season, to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So where is your trust at today? Are you trusting in your own efforts, your logic, your ability to navigate these trials of life because you're smart, because you've made it through before? Or are you trusting in the only wise God, Jesus Christ, the one who is able to reach out that hand and save? I remember reading not long ago, I'll close with this, that there was a family who had a fire in their home and everyone made it out except the eight-year-old boy on the second floor. And the the smoke was so thick and the, the fire was blazing in the bottom part and it was billowing out the windows and his dad was on the ground and he said, you need to get on the roof. And so the boy was able to get out of his window, get out on the soffit. He got up on a little side roof that was right near his window. And his father said, now I need you to hear me. Just go ahead and jump, I'll catch you. And the little boy looked through the smoke and he said, but daddy, I can't see you. And the daddy's saying, just jump, I'll catch you. He said, daddy, I can't see you. The dad in desperation yells up, he said, but I can see you and that's all that matters. And God sees you today. God sees you right where you are and that's all that matters. And maybe you can't see the way out of your trial. Maybe you don't know how to get through this dry season. Maybe you say, Pastor, you don't know how long that I've been in this dry season. Well, just keep soldiering through. Just keep marching on. All you can do is what you can do today. Take another step. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Just take another step in faith. And it's not even blind faith when you say, God, I can't see you, but I know you see me. Heads bowed, no one looking around. Between you and God, I wonder today, Do you need to take a step of faith? I'm not gonna ask you to come down here, but
but I am going to ask you to do something. And that is in your heart and mind to sanctify God right now in a moment. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you want to pray, then I just want you to pray this after me right where you are. Pray this prayer. Dear God, today I take a step toward you, a step of faith. God, I'm in a dry season. I need to hear your voice. I need to know that you see me even when I can't see you. I will trust you. I'll walk with you. Today is a turning point. I say yes. I say yes to your will and yes to your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen now, if you prayed that prayer, we believe that you have crossed a line of faith and there are some next steps that you need to take. You need to let somebody know that you prayed today and get involved in a good local church and into a, a growth group. And we have many of those available around this church that you can get involved with and connect with this body of faith. Can we give everybody a hand that prayed that prayer today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.